0: Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello everyone, Rick Thomas here. Let's do a little bit of Life Over Coffee. I wanna talk about when God finally speaks to us after a long time of silence as we plead with him to give us intel on what's going on in our lives. Sometimes God can seem distant and possibly disinterested in what is happening in our lives The silence of God is deafening as we seek answers when life takes a turn for the worse. We feel all all alone on the ground level, a painful loneliness that turns our hearts upward. We are muttering and sputtering through life while God is, well, maybe He's off fighting battles that seem more important to Him than tending to our business. And so we want an audience with the king. We need to hear what he has to say about our problems. Or do we? Are you really prepared for what he has to say? Well, that is what I want to talk about. And I've titled this, Do You Really Want to Know What God is Thinking? And so let's get into it. It's really not wrong to ask God, ask if he cares about you or wonder if he's paying attention to what's happening in your life. I mean, theologically speaking, you are aware of his omniscience and omnipresence. He knows everything and he is everywhere. But experientially, a sense of desperation can veil what we know to be true theologically. We might even succumb to the temptation to make futile attempts to force God's hand through manipulative praying like what I did. Imagine the desperation that would have to mount up in our souls to lure us into thinking that we could budge the hand of God as though we have that kind of power. God moves when He's good and ready. And if He's silent, or not intervening the way that we want him to in our lives, we need to capture our thoughts at that moment before they run wild on us. The good Lord will do what he has planned for us and will not relent until those things manifest in us. You remember Job's desperate acknowledgement? He said this in chapter 23, but he is unchangeable. And who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does, for he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Sometimes I think it would be wise to be more cautious and discerning when requesting the Lord to reveal all his cards to us. Other times we may want God to intervene so severely that we do not consider what it could be like if he did speak to us. The problem with these scenarios is that if our thoughts are not his thoughts, we may be in for the shock of our lives when he finally assesses and addresses our situation. Without question, circumstances demand an answer, and the Lord is the only one who knows all the facts. The problem is, is when we think we know the answers and we demand him to weigh in on our troubles. Now, I'm not suggesting that you resign to a twisted, morbid fear of God or lace your thoughts with an accusation that he is not for you. No, he is for you. If you are a Christian, God is for you. God loves you. He is on your side. The Lord's favor on you and His pleasure with you is never in doubt. God loves you with an everlasting love, and you cannot in any way diminish His affection for you. A better and more measured approach would be to perceive the need for wise and careful consideration about how we think about our problems and the path we must walk if our goal is to follow in the steps of Jesus. More than likely, whatever we are going through has more contours than we ever imagined. The Lord is meticulously attentive to our lives. His omniscience allows him to know every microscopic detail of our inner being while simultaneously planning every future step and outcome. He is more prudent in our lives than we are. Well, God did finally speak to our old friend Job. He got what he asked for, but with considerable caution for us, may we learn the lesson. We must tread carefully about how we think about God and our problems. He does know more than us, and He will do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And if we're not careful, especially during seasons of suffering, we could develop a, a, a self-righteous and, and grumbling spirit that will cripple what the Lord desires to do in our lives. Sometimes a parent will withhold parts of the story because the child cannot steward every aspect of the truth. Plainly said, they can't handle the truth, or at least not all of it. The Lord was teaching Job the blessing of not knowing the rest of the story. Has it occurred to you how it's not a bad thing not to know the rest of the story? How easy is it to cast our cares on the Lord even when life is not going according to our desires?" Sometimes it's pretty difficult to cast our cares on the Lord. There have been times when I knew to cast my cares on the Lord, but I was hesitant not knowing what he might do with them. I mean, if I cast my cares on him, what's going to happen here? Where might he take me or what will he require of me? We have an internal dialogue that recognizes that God is a terrible God who can do mighty things that might put us in places that push us beyond our natural abilities to extricate ourselves from the trouble at hand. There is a healthy fear of God, a reverential fear of God. But sometimes our fear of God can slide from reverential respect to sin laden fear that creates divine distance or distance from the divine. Job was aware that there were many things in the Lord's mind for him, and he knew God would bring those things to pass. I mean, that is what he said precisely in Job chapter 23. He even admitted that this kind of God-awareness terrified him, weakening him. But our old friend kept pressing for answers, and his, his friends kept offering counsel. And through it all, God was mysteriously silent, like a father listening to his children argue from another room, The Lord sat in all his unbudgeableness as the faulty wisdom of his children was being bandied from one to the other. And then in the perfect, seemingly slow timing of the Lord, he relinquished a piece of his mind to Job's situation. This is what it sounded, sounded like in Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job, Out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dressed for action like a man? I will question you, Job, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Now, mercifully, it was only a piece of God's mind. Who could stand if he gave his full mind on any matter? Oh my! I must admit, this is not what I was expecting from the Lord. Job was awakened from his wisdomless slumber as counsel for from heaven thundered down on his grumbly soul. It only became worse from there. The Lord stood on Job's proverbial neck and rained down poor whipped pure wisdom and insight and clarity all wrapped in an unrelenting rebuke and he did not cease for four contiguous chapters. God went from silence to speaking at the speed of sound and the words he selected for his above approach servant were some of the most reliable and course corrective counsel you will ever hear. Apart from a brief response from Job right in the middle of from 38 to 42, the Lord gave one of his most extended counseling monologues in Scripture. This monologue is a fantastic mind-bending response from the Counselor, capital C, to the Counselee, you and me. It was one long rhetorical mouth-stopping situation after another. Job's mindset had gone from a desire to figure out what was happening to him to a complaining and grumbling spirit. The longer we put off fully trusting the Lord, especially when life does not make sense, we too will eventually morph into a bitter person. And regardless of our good intentions, there is not a requirement on the Lord to give us the answers to our most perplexing problems. Sometimes we can talk too much. And in the case of Job, there was a divine request for him to close his mouth and listen because he was putting out too many words. God's call on Job to trust him, even when life does not make sense, is a call for us to do similarly. This message is stern for our modern culture to accept. We live in a world of unending rights and endless privileges. Being detained at a traffic light is too much for small-souled people. Imagine our most pressing issues not receiving the care we believe we need. At this point in my walk with the Lord, it still amazes me at how I complain about things that should not matter. After a while, it it seemed as though I would be mature enough to trust the Lord in all things, especially after experiencing Him working in my life, in some of the most difficult challenges of my life. I mean, in a 10-year span from 1987 to 1997, I lost two brothers through murder. I lost my wife. I lost two children. I lost a job. I lost a home. I lost all my money and all my property through a divorce. During this time, I brought many requests to the Lord. I was not always kind. I was not always patient. I was not always understanding when I presented my arguments before the Lord, even though He was always kind, always patient, and always understanding. He tolerated me. Sometimes I thought He was too patient. Now, that is spiritualized Christians speak for He was too slow in coming to my aid. Regardless of my immaturity, He was unmovable never giving in to seeing things my way. He would allow me to complain while he maintained his position of silence. And this posture only irritated me, pushing me farther down the funnel of depression and discouragement, not to be deterred. The more silent he became, the more emboldened I became about my rights, my losses, and my need to know why these things were happening. If he was not going to speak, then I maintained a torrid pace of filling our time together with words. I could not perceive that his silence was actually leading me to the end of myself. Yeah, it's true. Silence is, or leadership is verbal, but leadership is also silence. And sometimes it's wiser to guide someone through through your silence than guiding them through your words. I found this to be true in counseling. If I sit in silence with a counselee, it reveals their innermost thoughts as they fill up the space with their words. The lack of God's words made me uncomfortable prompted me to fill the void with with things that seemed wise, only leading me into more profound despair. You see, humans are not comfortable with silence. When nothing competes with our thoughts, we're left with our internal dialogue, revealing our most authentic selves, the things God already knows about us, but we have yet to come to these conclusions." I remember talking to a lady one time and I asked her, I said, do you drive home at the end of the day from work in silence? She said, oh, no, I would never do that. I have to have the radio on. I have to have noise in my car. She did not want to listen to the internal dialogue. God's words, in my case, would have been a distraction keeping me focused on what he was saying rather than hearing the confusion of my soul as I dialogue with myself. So he left me to myself in silence. This approach to soul care is analogous to the sun's heat as it is bearing down on a a bowl of snow and a bowl of mud. The sun quickly reveals what's in the containers as one of those hardens and the other one softens. His silence was like the sun's heat bearing down on the container of my soul, revealing what was inside of me. Once I stopped focusing on the quietness of God and gave attention to my complicated and confused soul noise, I began to discern that more refined work that needed to happen inside of me. The heat of his silence revealed things that I did not like about me. But I knew there was no proper way out of this mess if I didn't stop my grumbling. God had already stopped talking to me, and I needed to stop filling up the room with my words. If I had taken the Lord's posture of silence, I would have come to these conclusions more quickly. I was filling up the room with words as an offensive maneuver to distract me from paying attention to these deeper things that I knew I had to address if I wanted to improve. Sometimes people will use words as a smokescreen to hide behind what they know to be true about themselves, but they don't want to change those things. So finally, I shut up. I was ready to listen I will never forget the day during my journey through the book of Job when I came to chapter 38 where God thundered down on his servant. The Lord finally said something. It was as though God was no longer talking to Job, but he was speaking to me. Those unrelenting and demanding questions, four chapters of them that the Lord was asking Job, shot through millennia and landed in my heart. It was as though omniscient God had me in mind when he was rebuking Job. He began to remind me of a few things that I had forgotten. My arrogance and lack of faith in his active goodness in my life kept me from seeing all that I needed to see. This time, I was silent. I followed Job's example by putting my hand over my mouth After the Lord broke the silence and entered into my whirlwind, it became fearfully apparent how I needed to shut up, sit up, and listen. If there was anything to say, it needed to be something like what Job said. This is how Job said. When Job did speak in between those four contiguous chapters of monologue from God, this is what he said in chapter 40. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Sometimes our complaining may motivate God to respond to us. We want God to speak? Beware. This could be a bittersweet experience. If we continue to demand the Lord reveal His full mind on our situation and let me ask, do you really want to know what God is thinking? Job did not understand how God could not. God would not tell him all he wanted to know. Job could not know that there was a deal struck with the devil and how the Lord was testing his faith. That was Job chapter 1 verse number 12. That's the part of the backstory. And the point of it all was supposed to be a mystery to Job. His trouble, his circumstance, his horrific trials were supposed to be a mystery to him because God was testing his faith. The Lord was teaching him how to live by faith rather than sight. The Lord cannot and the Lord will not tell you the outcome of the events in your life because it would sabotage the function and the purpose of faith. If you knew the outcome, you could possibly endure. You know the end. If you did, of course, the problem with your perseverance, your endurance to the end is that your faith would would be in the known result that was already given to you rather than in the Lord Jehovah God that would sabotage the function and purpose of faith. Do you parent this way? If you tell your child exactly how things will end up, your child may proceed because you revealed the ups and the downs and the ins and the outs to him. What have you accomplished other than teaching him how to trust his wits and ability to predict the future? If you hope to teach him how to trust God, you want to exercise his faith muscle, not always ensure soft landings. Knowing how things will end contradicts the first commandment by setting up a false God. Your faith would not be in God alone, but your faith would be in the little G-O-D of self-reliance. And now you would be serving another God. God is calling us to place faith, faith in him, which is the whole point of the Bible and the whole point of our lives. I mean, trusting God was the point of the story with Adam and Eve. All the Lord asked from them was to believe him. Job wanted explanations for his troubles rather than trusting God who was in his troubles. And the Lord was not going to allow this. Knowing the answers would have put Job on the fast track to self-reliance rather than trusting God. If Job was part of that backstory in Job chapter 1 verse number 12, where there was a triangulated dialogue between God, Satan, and Job, the devastation would have been horrific, no doubt. But Job would have known the outcome, and so his faith, again, would have been in the outcome rather than in God. So God could not, would not tell him how this was going to end. But Job would not shut his mouth. Job's ongoing bitterness and complaining motivated God to clarify the situation. Job received what he wanted, but it was not what he expected. The Lord put him in his place. The Lord said loudly and relentlessly that there was only one option trust me. God was entirely in charge of the situation, and Job needed to stand down. There is no counter argument. We either believe in the Lord through our circumstances or we suffer the consequences of those circumstances because we will not believe, follow, trust the Lord. If we try to manhandle our problems our way, the Lord will be against us because we will be acting with a proud spirit. And James said in 4.6 that God opposes the proud, meaning he is a warring army against proud souls. Any proud soul that stands up against God and his word is standing against a warring army. They may feel strong and in, in control at this moment, but at some point along the line, it is all going to collapse and it will never end well. The good news for Job is that he listened. He received the message loud and clear, and he became quiet. He put his hand over his mouth. He stopped complaining. After the Lord spoke, there was nothing more to say. Now hopefully we can learn from our old friend. There is wisdom from Job's story that we should be able to apply to our lives practically. For example, though the Lord spoke, it did not change his circumstances one iota. And this is an important point. God did not speak because he wanted to improve Job's situation. He spoke because he wanted to improve Job. We will eventually see how God changed Job's heart. You see that in chapter 42. We'll also see how the Lord transformed his circumstances, even though there were a lot of consequences for what happened. But a situational improvement was not the point of God's counsel to him. And we have to make sure that we understand that. Sometimes we think more about a situational change, a change of venue than a change of heart and soul. God's point, number one, is to change us whether our circumstances ever change or not. And sometimes he will use our circumstances as an ongoing means to make sure transformation is consistent in us. We see that in uh, 2 Corinthians 12 with the thorn in the flesh. Paul prayed, change my circumstances three times. God said, no, it is through your weakness that my strength comes through. And so sometimes it is essential for the situation to maintain as it is because that is the only way that you can experience the profound power of God. I do not recall all the trials the Lord brought me through where I knew the reasons for those trials. I'm not sure I I I would think that if I could remember all the trials, that most of them, if not all of them, I didn't know all the reasons why. And so reflecting, I can see how knowing the why of the circumstance was not the most important thing the Lord wanted to reveal to me. The most vital aspect was to learn how he was with me, And he would never let go of me, no matter how hard things became. He always wanted me to change, which was more valuable to him than a change of circumstances. And though the situations were not welcome in my life, those situations were critical as God used them to mature me, and he is not done with me yet. We still have a ways to go. And so we must live with the mystery and the uncomfortableness of the juxtaposition that situations are bad, but the results are divine. If we can learn this one lesson, we will become mature Christians, even if our circumstances never change. Do you really want to know what the Lord is thinking? If you do, I suggest that you put on your seatbelt, because God's words might not go as you hoped, especially if you have been critical, grumbling, or faithless, as I was and as Job was too. If you want to read what I've just shared with you, you can go to lifeovercoffee.com. And the title of it is, Do You Really Want to Know What God is Thinking? And you can type some version of that into our search feature, and, and you can read everything that I just shared with you, or you can listen to the podcast, watch the video, and then, of course, share it with 1,000 of your closest friends. If If you like what we are producing, then we want you to share it with others. And then if you really, just really do not like what we are producing... We want you to share it with others and just tell them how awful it is and get their perspective and who knows what might happen. And so whether you love it or hate it, just share it with other people and and let them decide. Before I wrap up here, I do have a, a few questions for you just to think about. What is your number one takeaway from what I just shared with you? And so if you would just take some time to think about it, Or maybe if you're riding with someone in a a vehicle that just say, hey, man, what did you think about that, that podcast? What did you think about that video? What do you think about this? And just have that conversation with someone. What is your number one takeaway? There is a lot here, and I do realize that. Number two, what have your adverse situations revealed to you about your internal dialogue? And I trust that when the heat comes down on the mud or the snow, I mean, that you are listening to that internal dialogue and it does reveal to you and that you would make notes of those things, good or bad. The point at this juncture is not whether your thoughts are good or bad, but what are your thoughts, accurately speaking? Only by knowing what to put off. I mean, you could only know what to put off by accurately assessing what it is. And so if your thoughts are negative, what are those thoughts? And now that you have diagnosed and zeroed in on those negative thoughts, you will know how to, you would know exactly what to put off. And so the question is, what have your adverse situations revealed to you about your internal dialogue? Is there something that needs to change? If so, will you start by making those changes? And maybe you want to consider something that we talk about within Life Over Coffee. It's pre-accountability. It's accountability that you set up before you start on something. Sometimes we, we make a resolve to do something. We don't tell anybody about it. We go a day or two, and then we just relinquish that resolve and, and do not perceive any farther. Pre-accountability is when we let someone know, hey, this is what I'm thinking. I'm going, I'm going to do this, and so I want you to hold me accountable. I was reading this article the other day that said, do you really want to know what God is thinking? And it revealed some things about me, about my internal dialogue, and I want to change. And so I am bringing you into that. And so you're gaining pre-accountability. Number three. Are you more prone to grumble when things go badly for you? And I'm not saying that as your judge or as though I'm above you. As I've been sharing with you, when when the heat came down in my life, well, that was my response to grumble and to complain. Now, if you're prone to do that, or maybe you are able to quickly reorient your mind to the deeper work of God. Well, which is it? Will you be honest? When the heat comes down, are you more apt to complain or quickly regain your spiritual equilibrium and you just move on with God? If you are, you're better than me, and and I'm thankful for that. I can praise God. I can rejoice with you. But if you're more like me, then maybe this is something that you want to address. Number four, what are some of the positives of changing of changing you, but not changing your circumstances. Now, that's tough. And this is something that I think most of us would really need to spend time thinking about. What, what are some of the positives of just changing you exclusively, even if your circumstances do not change? I referenced Paul and The Thorn in the Flesh. You could also reference uh, Joseph as well. It was essential for him to be in Egypt, and those circumstances could not change because there was a grander narrative that was in operation, a transcending narrative. And, of course, Christ was the same way as he prayed in 2242 of Luke, that he wanted his circumstances, let take this cup from me. And so sometimes it is essential to stay in the crucible because there is a greater work that is happening in us, through us. Number five, as you observe your friends suffer, how might how might you use the lessons here to care for them? And so just spend some reflective time thinking about a friend who is suffering at this point. And if it's appropriate, and I know that the truth that I'm sharing here is heavy, and they're You have to be in a place to hear this. This is not recommended for uh, rated G, for the general audience. This is for those that are farther along in their Christian experience and have some depth of maturity or a depth of, of seriousness that they really want to mature and they can receive this message. And so please consider your audience. Number six. Perhaps sharing with a friend how the silence of God was a pivotal point in your walk with Him. It would refresh your soul and maybe encourage theirs. And that may be the point of departure in helping a suffering friend. Rather than laying the weight of all this uh, on them, perhaps you could just share your experience with the silence of God. And of course, as you do that, it will refresh your soul but it could begin to open a door for them. And so I've titled this, Do You Really Want to Know What what God is Thinking? Uh, please go to lifeovercoffee.com and check out all of our resources. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.